And I've been married for, I don't know, 40 years, been in the ministry for almost 35 years. And the question she asked me was this, honey, do you enjoy preaching? And it's kind of interesting, I didn't know exactly how to answer that question. Because when God called Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I'm going to call you, and you will go, and you will go to a people who won't listen. And if you do not speak the things uh, that I say, then you will be cursed. So I'm not sure exactly uh, how to to process, do you enjoy preaching? But let me tell you what's difficult about preaching. Uh, it's It's not the communication. It's not necessarily exegeting a text or coming up with a few ser- sermons or uh, illustrations or, or uh, application. But as John Stott said, that a, a preacher is a person between two worlds. And so there is God who is holy, righteous, and just, and good, and true, and he is knowable. And, and then there's us. Uh, who tend to want to move away from that sometimes. We have a tendency, as it were, to not want to move toward him because that is our nature. And so the goal of the preacher is to take uh, life as it is, open our eyes to what the Scripture says it is, and to unite us to God, to unite us to Christ. Now, the reason I say that is I come to a passage this morning... This is about death. And here's the bottom line. I have to talk to you about death. And people don't like to think about death, especially in our culture where uh, we live in the moment. But here's the reality. The reality is that everybody in this room will die. That is a certainty. Taxes and death. And so it's very important for you, before you come to that day, when it's too late, to really consider it, to consider what it means now, and to consider what Christ has done to overcome our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. So if you would, I'd like for you to turn uh, into your bulletin, as our text is printed there. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Again, And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, 
she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can know you because you are the true and living God. You're the God who is here today. We thank you that we can know you because Christ our Lord, the second Adam, the God-man, has been risen And sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for those who look to him. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would help us see the seriousness of death. uh, That we would ponder uh, its reality due to the cause of death, which really is our sins. That affect uh, not only ourselves, but those around us and above all is really had to be dealt with in the person and work of Christ. But Lord Jesus, you have conquered sin and death. And I pray for any who are here today who never had that great assurance that they have passed from death to life that the sermon would be simply Uh, would be simple and speak straight to them. And Father, for those who are believers who struggle with their own doubts, uh, who are concerned about their eternal state, Lord, that they would once again look to Christ who has accomplished that and rest in him for he is life and in him is life. So Lord, we ask, that you would be with us in these moments before we come. 
to the Lord's table. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Now this afternoon, I'm going to be doing the, uh, the funeral, helping with the funeral of Millard Braswell, Wesley Bennett's uh, stepfather. And um, some of you know Millard. Some of you knew Millard. Uh, but of all of us probably in this room have been affected by Millard in some kind of way <clears throat> because it's Millard's farm where we would go twice a year in, in RUF and and downtown ministries, <clears throat> and had the pig picking and the low country boil. And uh, he, he shared that land with us. He was a good steward of that land. In fact, he's going to be buried on that land next to his horse. But, you know, it's really not right to call it a funeral because Millard believed this touch. Millard believed that Jesus Christ was the resurrection and is the resurrection and the life. And so really what we're going to do is we're going to mourn because we're still here. We're still living in this fallen world. And uh, those who've had loved ones that have passed on, there is still that aching in our heart that we miss them and they're gone. But not for Millard. Death was the portal that took him into the ultimate reality of the new heavens and new earth. He said, how would I know that about Millard? Because he shared his farm. No, you can be nice. You can be good. You can do all kind of wonderful philanthropic things, things, but not have life. But Millard not only knew that Jesus Christ was the resurrection, but he knew he was the life, and that life had already entered into him the day that he believed. Now, what about you? You see, it's not just the hope of the resurrection to go, well, I do believe in the resurrection. But is he your life? Are you united to him, not only in his death, but in his resurrection? Now, I've done funerals for unbelievers. Uh, you say, how would I know? Well, because they weren't Christians. I mean, they... It's not like I'm judging them, but they were like of another faith or they didn't believe at all and I was asked to do the funeral. Very different. Because you see, in that context, you have the mourners that are there, but the mourners have no hope um, because there's death. And there's not this belief in the person of Christ who has come into this world to conquer death. And so how, how, does a, how does an unbeliever deal with death? I mean, think about it. Just think if there's no Jesus, there's no resurrection, there's no scriptures, there's no nothing. There's only us and, and the death that waits us. Let me tell you what death does if you're not a believer. It's the great equalizer to us all. No matter how much money you make, no matter what you accomplished in your life, no matter how many children you had or no matter how many friends you had, death is basically going to take it all away. And I want to tell you something right now. If you don't know Christ, you don't have life. It was very interesting. You know what? There was never a dead person with Jesus around. Where he is, there's life. 
But where he is not, if you refuse the light and walk in the darkness, there's only darkness. And there is no hope. You, can, can you, you know, remember the movie, What About Bob? Remember a little kid that was obsessed with death? You remember him? He was always wearing black and he was always, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And everybody's laughing at him. But I thought, you know, the kid's got a pretty good perspective on reality here. <laughs> and so everybody's laughing at him. Yeah, going to die. Don't worry about that. No, 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 no. Your death will come. But you see, that's what's hard about being a minister sometimes. You see, because some of you don't want to think about that. Or you don't want to think about your sin. Or you don't want to think about, uh, you, know, what, uh, you know, what's going to happen to me in the future. And, and all the, we work, we, and so, so it's important to think about this ultimate reality, no matter what your problems are in your marriage, no matter what your problems are financially, no matter what your problems are with your children, or whatever your problems are, you feel like you're not successful, whatever it may be, your ultimate need is to be justified before God, for the wages of sin is death. You don't die because of cancer. You don't die because of heart attacks, or car wrecks, or suicide. You die, according to scriptures, because of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, we love Christmas. Don't we all? Even if you're not a Christian here today, you love Christmas. And the reason we do is because 2,000 years ago, we have this hope that the cycle of death has been broken. And so we sing that great, uh, that great hymn by Charles Wesley. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. And born to give them second birth. Jesus tells us that that cycle, and our text shows, tells us that cycle has been broken. And that future reality, I'm going to tell you, and this is the main thing I want to see, because if you can't grab, grab your mind around the fact you're going to die, okay? Because I'm 63 or 4, and I still can't wrap my mind around it. Some of you I see out there, y'all probably think about it more than I do. But, um, but here's what I do want you to see. That that resurrection life can enter into you this morning and you can have eternal life. And I really want to address particularly you this morning. What's going to happen to me when I die? Can I have assurance? Or maybe you're a Christian and you are a Christian, but you're going, man, I'll tell you what, I still fear death a little bit. I, I, I still don't have that assurance of salvation. I only have two points this morning. And I want to see exactly how Jesus views death compared to the rest of the world. Secular people, Eastern people, different religions that are there. How does Jesus view death? And then, uh, secondly, I just want us to see that he has the power over death. He's conquered death. And that resurrection power of a future resurrection 
can transform your life today. And you can live not only in light of his death. Things are paid for. It's done. It's done. But we should be living in light of his resurrection. He sits at the right hand of God. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that our marriages can change. And that our relationships with our friends can change. So that we can deal with the fact that maybe we're not married or we're lonely or we're sad or we're sick. Because you, right now, because of his resurrection, have life. So here, here's the first thing. Is that we see how Jesus views death. He doesn't deny it, does he? Uh, he doesn't sentimentalize it. Oh, you know, he's, he's at peace now. Everything's good. He doesn't ignore its reality. That's the whole point of him in this text. And he's wrestling, you see, with our reality. He groans over it. And we see this in two places, okay? The first place that we see this is in verse 33. So Jesus had waited till Lazarus dies, and it's four days after his death, and Jesus shows up in the minds of Martha and Mary, all friends. Well, okay, I guess you can't do it all. There's certain things he just can't do, you see. And matter of fact, uh, we talked about this last week, but, you know, God has his own timing. He will not be manipulated by our needs, and Christ is not manipulated by our needs. And so he waits, and when he waits, it seems that all is lost, all is done. There is no hope, and maybe you're thinking that today, and, and you're going, there's no way that things can change for me. My, my marriage will never change. Well, maybe it won't. Well, things are not ever going to change. My, I will never get back to my financial situation. Well, maybe you won't. But you see, to wait upon the Lord, even as Jesus waited upon his Father, Jesus was able to show this glorious sign that the purpose of the death was to show that he is the resurrection for you. Well, where do we see the emotions of Jesus? Well, first we see it in verse 33. He comes, he's outside the city, uh, and uh, Martha has come to him, and now Mary comes to him. And in verse 33 it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now the question is, why would he, why would he weep? I mean, after all, we all know the end of the story, don't we? We know that he's going to raise Lazarus up from the dead, put that on your flannel board, little Lazarus outside the little gravestone, you know, in his robe. Certainly they didn't know that. 
I mean, they're, they're, they're saying all things are lost. But Jesus knows that as well, doesn't he? Does he not know that he, does he not know that's why he waited? Because he wanted to honor the Father, because the Father wants us this morning to understand that in the death is the resurrection, that our ultimate need is not to see more clearly or hear, but to be raised. Let me tell you why he weeps. Because he's Jesus. Now, I don't know how you view Jesus Christ. Man, I never really thought about it until I went to seminary, and that's kind of crazy because I used to read the Puritans before I went to seminary. Now, I never thought Jesus was, a, like, superhuman. But I never quite grasped the reality that part of the glory of who he is is that he humbles himself and he enters into this world is a human being. I know you've heard this over and over again because you're a redeemer. You know orthodox teaching. But some existential way he wants us to enter in with him this morning to understand that he cares about you. And I don't know what your needs are, but if you see God as some distant God that he's up there, he's like the Buddha who has a wry grin on his face. Or as John Stott said, that I could not ever believe in God if it were not the gospel of Jesus. That he knows my pain, he knows my suffering. Now let me tell you something, there's nothing more lonely, is there, than to, to I mean, is there's nothing worse than being lonely. And because, you know, when you die, you're going to do it by yourself. And all those people in that room with you, holding your hand, I've been with people that have died. And I'm still thinking, hmm, that must be a lonely feeling. Because I'm not dying. I know Tom, you and I spent time, Tom and Julie, I spent a lot of time with Andy, Andy Englert. But, you know, it's tough going up in that room, wasn't it? And, and he's not getting out of there. And as much as you would want to comfort him. That's what Jesus understands, understood then. Because he entered in, and he understands it now. And I'm going to tell you why he understands it now. is because he was raised, and he's a human being, and he has human emotions. You understand that? He's in a bodily form, and he has his brain. And he has his hands, and he has his feet that we're not going to get until the great resurrection. Okay, even Miller today, I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't understand that. All I know is we're going to bury him next to his horse. Now, whether his horse is raised from the dead, I doubt. But he, one day, that body will come out of the grave. And he will be fully human. In all his glory. That's why. Why does he weep? He knows what he's going to do. Yeah, okay, I'm done. Because we're not Stoics. We're not philosophers. We are people who has a God, have a God who has flesh and blood. Pretty amazing, isn't it? But notice also uh, another emotion that he has. And we see this in verse 38. It's a different emotion, but he's moaning, he's groaning, he's moved. Notice what it says uh, in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. 
And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. So now, the next scene is we see him at the tomb. And the word here, and man, commentators spend a lot of time on this word. A lot of different translations of this word move, but it's a different move. It's not just like I'm, my heart is broken for you. And this is the word that's used for the horse that snorts when it's angry. So now he comes to the tomb and he sees the death and the stench that's inside that grave. The decomposing body that's going to be ours. And he is irate at death. Your death. Your coming death. Because you see, death is an intruder into the creation. God is life. And his light in the life of men. And when God spoke, all things came into existence. And it was all very good. But then came sin. And sin corrupted us. And, you know, you, you can ask all the questions. Well, how do how, I, don't, I don't understand uh, the first cause and second cause. Let me, let me ask you, do you understand your sin? Forget all that for a minute. Do, do you understand the effects of death at work in you called sin? Because you see, ultimately, this, uh, this passage is a parallel to ch- nine. Remember when the blind man was healed? Y'all remember that? We spent a lot of time on the blind man being healed. But the whole point of chapter nine was, oh, we are spiritually blind. And unless Christ opens our eyes, we remain blind. You remain blind in your marriage. You remain blind in the things you think about business or whatever it is you do. Let me tell you what else you remain blind to. You remain blind to the reality that you're going to die. <laughs> but now we come, and here's Jesus at the tomb, and, and he is angry because you see really what Lazarus' death in the grave is pointing to is that we're dead in our sins. And you're corrupt. And we know we stink it, don't we? And so we hide from each other. And my friend, if you come in here, you know, and you, you know, and you're just kind of cynical about other Christians, and who really? I doubt Hal Farnsworth believes this stuff. I doubt these elders believe this stuff. Of course, number one, that gets you off the hook, but not really, right? Oh, those hypocrites out there, right? Anybody in here not a hypocrite, raise your hand. And if you do, then you're really dead. Because you see, here's what it means to be dead in your sin. It would be like you're around your sin all the time. I used to work on a farm. I used to milk cows. And I remember it was kind of embarrassing when your girlfriend would come out to pick you up at the farm or come out the farm because you got so used to the stench. But man, the first time you ride out on the farm, you just go, whoa. But you just start, you get, after a while, you're just like, what, what smell? <laughs> you see? You know why you don't smell your sin sometimes? It's because, and you don't feel the weight of your sin? It's because you're dead. You see, Lazarus, you see, he was dead. Y'all understand that? He was not bringing himself out of that grave. And he wasn't going to keep himself from stinking. 
But Jesus is angry. And the reason that he is angry, he's not angry at Lazarus. He's not angry at Mary and Martha because they weren't quite getting it. Or the crowd that says, well, couldn't he have not done this? He did that. Now, how many times have you done that? Right? You ever done that? Well, Lord, you did this for me, but what are you going to do for me lately? He could be mad at you, couldn't you? Like, what do you want from me? You, you know, as a parent, your kids want this, and you give it to them, and then they want something else, and you, you do this, and they want something else. He's not mad at them. You know what he's mad at? He is mad at death because he loves us, and he cares about us. He is mad that you, if you're not a Christian, that you are under bondage to sin. And it's slapping you around. I was at the grocery store. It's been a while back, but I remember poor little boy's about three or four years old, and he grabbing stuff, you know, off the, the countertops, and man, all of a sudden here comes the mom, yanks him up, starts screaming at him and jerking him around and beating him on the rear end. And you know what? I, I thought to myself, I was angry. Should I have been angry? Would you be angry? You said, "Well, you don't know the kid." Well, I know this. I know that. There's a time to discipline. But I thought to myself, this poor kid, does he have to live under this all the time? That is exactly what Jesus is overwhelmed with. That we are bound by sin. You, you see, this is the love of God. is not only the mercy of God and the kindness of God, but the goodness of God is that he comes out against sin. But in this case, and as we'll see, it's coming out against our sin by taking our sin. And so, he's angry with sin and death. But here's the last point. He can do something about it. <laughs> That's the one thing. Hey, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry your husband died. I'm, hard, I'm sorry you wiped out. I, I'm sorry. I wish there was something I could do. There's nothing I can do for you because they're gone. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? I tell you, what you, when, you, when somebody dies, especially if they lose a child, and we've been through this many times, you don't go and say, well, praise the Lord. They're with Jesus now. That means you don't understand what it is to weep with someone. You don't want to be Job's friends and say, well, it's probably something you did wrong. You know what you do? You come to a person and you put your arm around them and you say, man, I'm so sorry. I wish there's something I could do. Please let me know if there's anything I can do. You ever say that? Well, you know what? There's nothing you can do. And there's nothing anybody can do. Your mama, your daddy, your brother, your sister, about your death and about the stench. But he can. Isn't that what this is about? So after we see his, his anger, he prays. And he says, Father, I am now going to do what you asked me to do four days ago and not come and heal him before the proper time. And now he is good and dead. And the reason it's four days in Jewish tradition is the spirit left on the third day. And on the fourth day in Israel, 
you're probably smelling pretty bad. But Jesus says, for this reason, that his death, his death is to display to us this morning that he can make you alive. So he said, move the stone ray. Martha says, "Uh, no, don't do that. Because she still doesn't understand it, right? He's already talked to her about him, the resurrection. Yeah, 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 I get that. But don't open his grave. So he opens the grave, and, and I've heard many commentators say this. When Jesus cries out in a loud, loud voice, he, he calls Lazarus by name, or else all the dead would have come out. Why? Because he is the Almighty. In him is life. And Lazarus comes out. But you know what's different about Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection? Lazarus' resurrection is only a picture of the ultimate resurrection. Lazarus has still got all his rags on him, doesn't he? Tattered up, bound up. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, do you know where all his uh, linen cloths were? All nice, folded up, put over here. You know what's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus is Lazarus could die again, and he would die again. But I guarantee you, he didn't fear death like the second time. And I'll tell you why, because Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was in his glorified body, and his body will never, ever die again. He is the resurrection, and he is the life. And all of you who are here today can have that resurrection life now if you come confess your sins and say, I'm odious to everybody. And if, and if I'm not, they just haven't found me out yet. But you have today. And I need you to raise me from spiritual death because that always predicates your physical death. You understand? You die because you're already dead spiritually. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die, did they? But they were cut off from God and cut off from one another. But you go to Genesis chapter 5, Genesis 5, it says, uh, it's called the death chapter. They live so long and they die. They live so long and they die. They live so long and they die. And it's like, just in case you don't missed it, you still die physically. But they're already spiritually cut off. <laughs> what about you this morning? Jesus not only says, I am the resurrection. But he says, I am the life. Let me tell you something about Millard. He entered into that life. You know how I knew that? I just, there was life about him. He wasn't a moralistic, nice guy trying to get to heaven by letting a bunch of people come out to his farm. I'd like to know what his insurance cost. Right? But it's because he was Millard in Christ. And he loved Christ. He wanted to share his farm with you. You know why? Because he had life. He wasn't stingy. He wasn't holding back. He wasn't going, well, that's too big a risk. Because it wasn't his in the first place. So what did it cost for us to have this? What did it cost? I said this last week. I'll say it one more time and I'll close. You know why Jesus was uh, weeping at that tomb? Is because the only way for Lazarus to come out of that tomb and the only way for you to come out of the grave and the only way for you to have life today is for him to enter into that grave and he would be crucified within weeks of that. 
He would be separated and lose the face of God so that we might never have to lose the face of God. And as I was reading uh, this week in Matthew 28, going through the scriptures, in the Great Commission, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will be with you always. Message, do you know that power? Have you passed from death to life? Do you have not just, oh, I believe in God and I, hopefully I go to heaven one day. No, you know you are because for you to live is Christ because he dwells in you. Well, trust him. Okay? I, mean, I don't know what else to say. He's raised. He's risen. He's good. Trust him. You say, yeah, but I keep doing the same sins. I keep doing the same sins. Well, you know what? Then just uh, come to him and trust him. And by the way, all those same sins that we do, they were crucified 2,000 years ago. Believe that gospel. You're going to do the same thing. Some of you got all kind of crazy habits, like I do, bite my fingernails. That's the one I will share. <laughs> Look, he's risen. And just come today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty, we praise your holy name for Jesus, that he's made all things new. He's defeated sin and death, and the sting is gone. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ. I pray this morning for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, that they would see that life is in him. And that they would rest in him. And we ask it in your name. Amen.